0: Good morning and welcome to Radio Maria. This is Questions of Faith, a program in which our callers can call in and ask questions about the faith, as the name suggests. And today I have the great pleasure of being joined by Sister Carino. Hello, Sister.
1: Hello, Hello, Kim. Lovely to be with you.
0: It's so lovely to to be with you in a virtual sense. Yes. Um, and uh, tell me, how things are things going with you at, um, what, what is it, it's New Forest, isn't it? Where it is you the are? New
1: Forest, yes. Yeah, still new. It is, it is still new. It's been new for, for several hundred years now. I don't think it's ever going to get old. <laughs> um, we are all very well. <clears throat> as as Tim and I were saying by email, um, we're enjoying Lent. We well, yeah, are It is an enjoyable time to, 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 to grow closer to our Lord in a, in a very intentional way. So yes, we're all doing very well down here
0: Well, I was saying in another program um, that uh, Lent in the Rule of St. Benedict is actually, when they speak about Lent it's the only time that the word joy is used in in the Rule of St. Benedict
1: Interesting
0: And it's used twice Um, So it says that we we, uh, look forward to Easter with holy joy Um, And I do think that lent is a a very joyful season it's a different kind of joy to to easter joy or christmas joy or ordinary time joy but it's joy nevertheless
1: yeah Um, and i think in our in our human relationships we, we look on the opportunity to to do things or to give up something for the people we love as a as a wonderful opportunity yeah, and it sort of takes on this extra kind of angst when we apply it to God, <laughs> but but it's that same kind of dynamic of when we when we love someone, we we want to we want to show that in very concrete ways.
0: That's true. And tell me, do, do things uh, change much in the uh, sort of lifestyle of of your uh, community mm-hmm. during Lent?
1: So, what we do at the at the beginning, well, just before Lent begins, we'll have what we call a chapter meeting where all the the finally professed sisters, so the the grown-up nuns. Mm -hmm. um, I'm allowed to say that because I I am one as of three months ago. Um, We we meet and we talk, thank you very much. We meet and we're going to talk about what what we're going to do as a community for Lent. So we always take on a few um, penances and prayer commitments communally as a group, but then it's also left up to the individual sister what they're going to do as an individual. So what we tend to do is we'll fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. So we, we won't have a, a full meal on on Wednesdays and Fridays. And also we usually recommit ourselves to times of silence, which is something we should do throughout the whole year. But those of you who know Dominicans will probably be able to guess that is it is something that we all tend to struggle with. <laughs> um, so we as sisters kind of like recommit ourselves with new fervour to the times in our in our daily life when we're meant to be keeping silence. This is not one of them just to just to be clear. I'm I'm in the clear with this one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um I've I think it was uh actually it was an advent where some sisters uh what was it glen one of the glens up in Ireland where, where they would during Lent they would speak. No it was during Advent, sorry. They would speak during meals. Um, which they weren't used to doing. Mm. And then when it came to uh, Christmas, when they went back to silence, they all just were so much looking forward to it because they (laughs) were finding it so (laughs) difficult to keep conversation going during Lent. Um, But let's not forget why the two of us are having this program this morning. It's for us not to speak about... Um, Lenten traditions per se but to answer questions from people who who may have some kind of query on the matter and um, so if you have a question about Lent or anything really re- regarding the faith, not any question whatsoever um, cooking questions would not be uh, no. appropriate and uh, medical questions w- would not be appropriate either Nice. The number to dial is zero one two two three three seven five five six four that's zero one two two three three seven five five six four and I'm about to open up the lines because they've been closed, but oh. now they're open Perfect. um so anyone can call and um and someone is calling, so let's see who this is oh, yeah. radio Maria hello Hello, hi. Okay. Who- it's Lucia. It's Lucia. How are you, Lucia?
2: I'm all right, thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you have a question for Sister Karina and myself?
2: I do. It's not actually my question. It's my daughter's question, and she's been pressing me to to call in and ask this. She's only seven. Um, mm. This has been on her mind quite a lot. I I think it's probably mostly because she has seen bits of the Chosen, and uh, her question is about Mary Magdalene. And oh, she's seen how, how beautiful it is, is, the scene where he where he saves her. But she uh, keeps asking, how did Mary Magdalene uh, get the seven demons in her in the first place? Oh. Yeah. I, I don't have a gentle answer for her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, first of all, I think the first thing to say is, I'm very happy that your daughter has asked this question. It's great to be asking questions about our faith from a very young age as well. And also, if you could let your daughter know that um, the nuns really like watching The Chosen as well. So that's something that she's got in common <laughs>
2: with
0: mm-hmm. us. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I yes, I think, <laughs> I think demonology is is always difficult to bring up with a child because obviously we don't want to scare children. And we also want to make it clear that the world in which we live, which is a redeemed world, is not one where you've got the force of goodness and then an equal, equally strong, equally powerful force of badness and they're at war with each other. You know, this isn't the world we live in. We live in a world where Christ has definitively defeated evil and death and it's just a case of that victory being being lived out in our lives. So, you know, we we can think about things like demons and evil from a fairly solid faithful i say fairly a very solid faithful hopeful perspective um when i when i've heard modern day exorcists talk about how demons enter people's lives the thing that gets emphasized and i think this is a useful thing to be emphasized to a child is that no no one it would seem ends up being demonically possessed by accident you do, not, you do not trip and fall one day and end up with a demonic possession and no idea how it happened. Usually there are things that that we do in our lives that open us up to being vulnerable to demonic possession. And it's often to do with explicitly turning away from God, um, engaging in practices that we know are contrary to our Catholic faith. Um, mm. Things like the occult yeah. Um, you know, Ouija boards, things like that, which you'd you'd have to find a um, an age-appropriate way to talk yeah. about with your child, maybe. But I think just summing it up as deliberately saying no to Jesus and God yeah. makes us vulnerable to demons, in the same way that if you if you choose to go outside on a very cold day without a coat on, you know, wearing your wearing your summer dress and no shoes and no hat, and it's pouring with rain you're not inevitably going to get a cold, but you've made yourself vulnerable to, mm. to getting a cold. Um, I think that's that's maybe the analogy that I'd use, That that Mary lived the kind of life where she turned away from God and didn't have God's protection. So she was sort of vulnerable to getting infected by a demon in the way that we're vulnerable to getting infected by colds when we go out into nasty weather.
2: Oh, very good. Very, very. Thank you. I'll definitely be using that. Oh, and I just definitely that she'll understand that. I mean she wasn't scared um about this because she knew you know she she's a, she's a strong little faithful warrior <laughs> my little one. Um so yes yeah, it didn't it didn't seem to scare but it's just something that I couldn't quite like I said like like you've explained it very well thank you and darling, and that will help her.
0: I was recently... <laughs> I was just recently uh, listening to a talk by an exorcist and one of the things he said which I thought was really quite remarkable was that um a good confession is better than an exorcism. Yeah. And um oh, God. within yeah. you know just the economy of the sacramental life if we are receiving the blessed sacrament if we're going to confession regularly then um it's like going for a regular checkup with a doctor. You're not mm. suddenly going to be, uh, you know, that, these these things come through through deliberate neglect um, when we when one falls into that kind of of oppression, not through mm. as as Sister Karina said, just tripping and falling and suddenly mm. it happening.
2: Yeah, that's actually very good because she will be making her first. Um, her first confession very thing she's doing her home cool. communion this year mm-hmm. so oh, um I oh, that's really good i've heard that before as well from um that it's 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 better than an exorcism
3: uh, and confession. baptism and
2: i felt it as, as well. well you know i felt mm-hmm. it i you know confession reconciliation is um so what a gift we have there my goodness mm. it's almost i think it is immediate i i really do think that i mean you might mm. not see the effects afterwards uh, immediately, but you feel them. Mm. I do anyway, mm. you know. Yeah, that, <laughs> so that grace of forgiveness is it.
1: very powerful.
2: Yeah. So I'll I'll be telling her all of that. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Well
2: thank you, Lichia. Thank great you for joining in. Oh no worries. Thank you great. very How much for a lovely for day. Question. You too. God bless you both. <laughs> okay. Bye bye. Bye
0: bye. So what a wonderful question. Um if anybody else would like to call in The number is 01223375564, that's 01223375564. We're going to go to a song, this is Tree by Father Tanzi.
3: The woods, the tree of life, see, bears the glorious crown. Come, see, come, see, tis the key for life, tis a creed for life. Kiss the tree of life as you are to the tree oh, no. Of the woods, the thorn is for me a warrior's crown. Come see, come see Gethsemane from Eden.
0: This is Questions of Faith, and we are taking callers if anybody has a question. The number is 01223375564, that's 01223375564, and um, myself and sister Carino will answer any questions that you have regarding the faith. In the meantime, this is Father Tanzi singing Tree. Uh, father tansy songs have you ever heard them before sister Carino?
1: on a halo playlist oh. or something but i've never actually listened to them so when you said father tansy i thought well that sounds familiar but um, i liked that one i'm gonna listen to them properly now i think
0: yeah they're really nice i think i probably play them a bit too much on radio maria um we have a question from a uh a volunteer who was uh in the studio a little bit earlier, so I got her to record this in a voice note. So let's have a listen. This is from Debbie.
2: Hello, um, my name is Debbie. I have a question about purgatory. And I just wanted to ask, is it true that uh, we can pray for the souls in purgatory and they can intercede for us, but they
1: can't pray for themselves
0: Okay, so that's the first question.
1: Interestingly, we sisters had a discussion about this a few weeks ago, actually, because I, at our summer camp that we run every summer, I had a, a very intense teenage boy who had many, many questions about purgatory and stretched my understanding of purgatory to its absolute limit i'd have a little lie down after after that having spent so much time thinking about something that is outside of time and therefore difficult Mm. to understand but yes so just quickly on a little summary of what purgatory is if we are in purgatory it is because we have been saved but require a further um process of purification after death to remove that kind of muscle memory of sin if you like even mm. though the state of grace has been has been restored um sacramentally through our regular reception of confession nevertheless we're, we're sort of clinging in some way in our human nature to that desire to sin that needs purifying after death and um, so purgatory isn't like a halfway house between hell and heaven if you're going to put them on a on a sort of a line on a spatial sort of line then purgatory's up next to heaven rather than halfway between heaven and hell. Um, in terms of the specific question, from what I understand, <laughs> this is a necessary caveat. Um, yes, we we are called to to pray for the souls in purgatory. We we devote swathes of the parts of the church's year to praying specifically for for the souls in purgatory. Um, they cannot pray for themselves because they have passed over from the time when it is within our human powers to make the choice for or against god so the catechism describes our earthly life as the time in which we through our volitionally willed human actions um choose whether or not to cooperate with the grace that god has given us so our earthly life is the time for acting and choosing and accepting grace. And after that is the time when we receive the just reward for that. And if that involves a time of purification and purgatory, from what, again, from what I understand, that that is something that is, that is purely the operation of God. And... Also mediated through the operation of of the Church on Earth, as as we pray for the saints in uh, for the for the souls in Purgatory, um, but it's not something they can do for themselves. However, I'm happy to be smacked down on that one if I've misunderstood <laughs> something. <laughs> uh,
0: the reason why this question came up was because we had a Mass here in the studio here in Cambridge, mm-hmm. and um, today's Gospel reading speaks about. Um, Making friends with your accuser mm. while you are on the way with him, and um, if you do not, then he will hand you over to the judge, and you will not get out of prison until you have paid the last penny. Mm. And Father Stefan was saying that he thinks that is a description of purgatory, which I think is is a very um, it, it's a very plausible. Yeah. Uh, Uh, interpretation of that of that verse i know that one of the desert fathers actually says that the um accuser in that passage is your conscience
1: interesting i like that
0: i also really like that i think it was uh uh, no i was going to say Barsanuphius, but it was um also there is a a strange name um dorotheus of gaza i think he said that excellent yeah i really like that make me sound like i know the church fathers really well (laughs) and um
1: of course it's dorotheus of gaza did you not know that sister crooney that's brilliant
0: i also uh, just on that the
1: um uh talking about paying the last penny uh that kind of sort of wealth language reminds me of what the catechism says about how um we have a a, a treasury of merits and grace Mm. in the church and that it is kind of shared out between all the members you know in heaven and on earth so you know we are benefiting from the from the sanctity and the holiness of the saints in this kind of shared treasury and that's how we can pray for each other and benefit from each other's um sanctity because we can pray for each other in that way yes
0: and it reminds one of that wonderful scripture in colossians where it talks about paul busy um completing I mean, it's yes. such a strange phrase, completing what is lacking in Christ's mm. affliction yeah. through his own suffering. Yeah. Um, and it talks about the treasury of the saints mm. in that. Um, the question goes on, or at least... Uh, here it is, yeah. So let's listen to the rest of it. Okay.
2: Um, and a second question I'd like to ask is, can we avoid purgatory by... Prayer, alms giving, and good works in in our life.
0: There it is.
1: I would say yes. We we avoid we avoid purgatory by essentially de- cooperating with God in developing those good habits that detach us from sin, that detach us from that muscle memory of wanting sinful things, desiring sinful things. Because, you know, we draw a distinction between being in a state of grace, so having our sins forgiven, um, but also being free of that desire to still sin, which we build up through the repeated action, Mm -hmm. which is the the temporal effects or the temporal punishment of sin. And, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do in Lent is cooperate with all the help that God gives us to detach ourselves from those habits those patterns of behavior that lead us to crave sinful actions even after we've had the the eternal punishment for them remitted in the sacrament of reconciliation of confession we still feel the effects of that temporal punishment and so when we pray when we fast when we give alms we're saying like i want to live the kind of life where i'm just completely detached from this desire to sin where i'm completely free of this desire for sinful things um and if we do still have that desire that attachment that's what's being purged that's what's being purified in purgatory so yes i think i would say the prayer fasting and giving are one of the ways to, to d- detach ourselves from our habits of sin
0: yeah it's something i i think very little about i must be honest um and i think it's because of my non-catholic upbringing that Purgatory just wasn't really a part of of my way of thinking um, but it is it is a good thing um I think this her question goes on even further, so let's carry on listening
2: um I have another question, which is um why do people not really preach very much now on um the last things and especially on purgatory
1: and the holy souls? That's a very good question. <laughs> As as someone who is not um trained as a homilist, you know, so I I'm not a, as as you know, I'm I'm not an ordained priest who have had no sort of training in, in homiletics at a seminary or anything like that. I don't really know what training um lads preparing for the priesthood go through nowadays in terms of the direction they get on what they should be preaching on. I know that you know, in many kind of Western countries, there's been a move away from what we might call a very kind of narrowly moralistic preaching of you must do this to avoid this bad thing, which as we know is, is not a very full or holistic portrayal of of the, the beauty of our faith and the beauty of the moral life of our of our, of our life in Christ. Um, but I mean, I think we should hear more about these things because it is it is such an integral part of our faith. It's, it's so beautiful that God draws us to himself to live with him forever in beatitude, that even if we die in a state where we're not fully detached from sin, he still gives us the purification that we need. And that also, in this incredible mystery, if we freely choose to reject him, he loves us so much that he will respect that free human choice to reject him. I, I just think that that's such a profound mystery that yeah, why don't we hear about it more often? One of the things one of the the kind of the 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 shifts in the church's understanding of itself that might have led to this is that um, the Second Vatican Council had a great emphasis on on presenting the truths of the faith in in the most sort of positive and accessible light to to modern man. And I think a lot of priests, a lot of bishops interpreted that in the spirit in which it was meant. But others might have interpreted it to mean well we 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 just won't talk about the stuff that's that I find difficult to talk about, which is a shame because that's not what the Second Vatican Council meant, but I think there might have been that kind of cultural move in some parts of the church of oh, this is an opportunity not to talk about the things that are a bit difficult that modern people tend to find a little bit tricky to get their heads around or that make me feel a bit awkward.
0: I have a question on the same issue, and um. But a reminder to our our listeners that you can call in and ask a question. The lines are open. 01223375564. Um, we'll take your question. But in the meantime, what would you say to a Protestant who found it really difficult to believe in the idea of purgatory? Um, do you have an approach that might uh, bridge that gap?
1: No. I'm not the expert on dialoguing with Protestants because... Like you, Tim, I am also a convert. Um, I didn't realise you're a convert, by the way. Actually, maybe I did. Maybe you've mentioned it before, and I just forgot that so that's unlike me because I tend to remember when people are converts. Um, so, yes, I'm also a convert, but I'm a convert from atheism. I went straight from atheism on a kind of high speed motorway into Catholicism, and um, without stopping off any other any other Christian denomination along the way. Which means I kind of understand like sheer hardcore atheism and Catholicism but um, Protestantism and uh, our our separated brethren are not something I have much insight into. Um, I am aware that, you know, there, there is a scriptural attestation to, to purgatory in that in, I think it's the second book of Maccabees, um, there is talk of, of praying, praying for those who have died. The, the, I think the, the one problem is that if you go down the route when dialoguing with our Protestant brothers and sisters of just proof-texting scripture, that gives the impression that the the only valid mode by which revelation comes to us is the scripture. And so if they're not convinced by your scriptural um, text that you produce, as far as they're concerned, that's a kind of slam-dunk argument. Whereas actually we we do also understand as catholics that the scriptures developed in and through the living tradition of the church and so if that living tradition of the church included praying for those who have died as something that you know the faithful just naturally and well not naturally supernaturally just organically understood as being part of our faith then that speaks just as loudly as the scriptures um So I think you'd want to make that point to our Protestant brothers and sisters that yes, there is attestation in the scriptures for praying for the souls of those who have died in particular in Maccabees, but also the witness of say the early church, the Christian catacombs where the early church clearly were praying for the souls of those who had died and continue to do this throughout the centuries. That, that speaks just as loudly and convincingly mm-hmm. as the scriptures.
0: Um,
1: but that's a bigger argument.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. the Protestants don't accept the Book of Maccabees.
1: Oh, that's so that's a double <laughs> double problem, isn't it, really? Yeah, you're going to have to have like a big picture discussion here yeah. on the canon, on the relation of scripture to tradition.
0: But there is So there's a verse that I always found really curious in um, 1 Corinthians 3, verse uh, I'm going to read from verse 10. So, by the grace of God, sorry, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder um, and someone else is building on it. I'm going to skip a few verses. It comes to, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring It to light, that day with a capital D. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Mm. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So I always found that a very interesting verse and I think it, it... it does kind of um, hint at something which Paul obviously had an understanding of, and he mm. doesn't flesh it out with words like purgatory. Or, I mean, there, uh, we can admit that there are a number of ways of of interpreting it, mm. but I think that it it could definitely be seen as a mm. some kind of purging that would go on on the day. You know, that that yeah. idea yeah. of the day is the day of judgment. Yeah, and I have another. Um, thing, which I found very interesting. So having been a convert from from Protestantism um, and being very sort of in the evangelical, uh, charismatic kind of world, there was a book that I read by a guy named uh, Rick Joyner who okay. claimed to have a series of, of visions where he saw... Um, heaven and um kind of saw a spiritual vision of the church and people who had died he said would go through this experience of um of of being purged before they entered heaven Mm. and there would be gnashing of teeth and that that phrase sort of came up quite a lot and i this is a person who is not catholic not Mm. um eastern orthodox he Mm. was um and I'm not saying that the visions were legitimate, but I just found it very interesting that what he described was something that related i mean it it, it was like so close closely aligned yeah. with what we yeah. what we believe about about poetry yeah that's
1: fascinating yeah. yeah so that's that's quite yeah.
0: a long tangent from a very short question Shall very we good have, question, have yeah. some music yeah why not <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna have some music again i'm gonna have Father Tansy And it's uh, the garden But before I do that The number to dial If you have a question Regarding the faith Is 01223375564 And if you're calling from Outside the country You put a plus 44 in front of that And take out a zero But it's zero one two two three three seven five five six four. This is Father Tansy singing Garden mm.
3: I want to go to the place All alone Where only we know I want to go to the place In my soul Where only we know How beautiful is the place where I go with you, Lord, alone. A hidden cove is the place where streams flow. There you rest, my soul. A garden enclosed where living water flows. It's the place where we. To go to the place through the groves where your spices grow. I low a mirror in the place where we where only we know. Oh, hurry on, Jesus, haste. Let us go to my hungry soul when wine and bread. place where we...
0: This is questions of faith with me, Tim and Sister Carino, and we have a caller on the line. Hello, Adrian.
4: Oh, hello. Good, uh, good morning. Um, I've got a question um, relating to, um, uh, to, to to Lent, um, specifically. Why do priests wear purple in Lent? Um, and and relating to that, where does the casual, um come from? Um, uh, um, white priest wear it. Excellent.
1: So in answer to your first question, Adrian, priests wear purple during Lent because purple in the church is a colour that we wear during, or that the priest wears rather, and that we decorate um, our churches in during seasons of penitence and waiting. Uh, so we wear purple during lent and during advent because these are the are the times when we are waiting expectantly taking on some extra penance living more simply and ascetically in order to prepare for a great celebration so christmas in the case of advent or easter in the case of lent so purple is, is a penitential color essentially and the second question about where the chasuble comes from ultimately the like the big-picture reason why priests wear particular clothes at mass is is to make the point that they are not exercising their priestly ministry in their own name you know when when father Toby wherever he happens to be today when he says mass he's not saying mass as you know toby lee's who has this amazing ability personally you know to say mass he's saying mass as father toby lee's who stands what we call in persona christi so in the place of christ at the altar and for that for that reason the priest will will not wear any old thing his own clothes when he stands at the altar in the place of Christ he will he will wear particular clothes particular vestments that show that this is a ministry he's exercising through someone else's power through someone else's authority which is Christ's power as to the exact history of where the different parts of the priestly vestments like the chasuble and so on come from i i don't know i'm afraid no, no so much.
4: that's a bit, I mean, a bit of a cop no, out. But I, just next, don't know. <laughs> uh, I I was only interested because I was doing the Bible in a year and it was reading Leviticus oh, yeah. and it was talking about the priestly, priestly garments, um, and I wondered if it, if it was related to that. Yeah. So.
1: Well, certainly, a lot of what we do liturgically is is derived from from that Jewish tradition. You know, so so the whole idea of, of having a priestly liturgy um is something that's rooted in in the old testament in the old covenant and as you as you've pointed out um the 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 book of leviticus and the tribe of levi which is the the priestly tribe of the 12 tribes of israel the one that is that was particularly tasked with carrying out the liturgy of the temple um we we can see in this the kind of the prefiguring and the the scriptural roots of so much of what we celebrate in in our liturgy, which is a foretaste of of the heavenly liturgy, so yes, the idea that um, the priest is clothed in a particular way when he celebrates the sacred liturgy is something we derive from what God revealed to Aaron um, as as the first as the first priest of, of the old covenant.
4: And on the penitential colour, yes. um, yeah, that was the piece which, I, to be honest, I, I always knew, I knew it was the penitential colour, but I, I didn't. The thing that always puzzled me was uh, always puzzled me is purple was uh, I understood in the ancient HM world was one of the most expensive colours to produce yeah. because of where they had to I presume where they had to extract the uh, the mineral wherever they got yeah. the, the colour from. So yeah. it seems it seems almost a, well it, it it almost seems a, a slight contradiction in terms of, mm. as it were to the fact that it's then of the colour chosen at times of, of penitence. So, yeah, well, I, that's why I, I I've always found hard to understand.
1: It is, that's certainly very interesting. Yes, you you've pointed out that it's also a, a colour that's associated with sort of great great wealth and status, which is why the church also recognises purple as, as a kingly colour. You know, it is it is a it is a royal colour, and um, in uh, in sort of ancient hymns for Lent and especially for Passion Tide, um, you have the the blood of christ being described as as purple or empurpled which which always used to kind of confuse me until i realized that this was meant to be a reference to to christ's kingship mm-hmm. um so I- yeah we also recognize in the church that that purple is a kingly or a royal color and I've, i'm gonna have to think about that for a bit i
0: found a very interesting uh, thing here Oh, yes. On uh, a website called um, catholicitt.org It says uh, "Purple, Regarding purple used in Lent Purple was used as an act of derision towards our Lord When Pilate placed a purple robe on, on Jesus Whom he called King of the Jews Purple thus symbolizes pain, suffering, mourning and penitence I find that very interesting
1: excellent yeah so it's 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 in it's in the passion that these two these two concepts of like the kingly purple and the penitential purple come together yes because the the royal imagery gets used as an, as an image of it, it gets used for, for a mocking purpose and a humiliating purpose in the passion
3: mm-hmm.
1: and so as yeah the priest takes on that purple that purple vestment remembering that in the passion this kingly symbol became a a means of humiliation and mockery interesting
0: is that helpful adrian
4: yeah it's really helpful thank you so much
0: i found one other thing on the chasuble and this is from a website uh, from the diocese of bismarck and it says um, i'm assuming that this is the catholic diocese but let's see it says the chasuble the outer and last of the vesture also, is the color of the day of the liturgical season. The traditional symbolism of the chasuble is that it represents charity, covering a multitude of sins, as the right. liturgical vestment covers the individual of the, the individuality of the priest mm-hmm. with the priestly role of the high priest, Jesus Christ. So that um, speaks also to what Sister Karina was saying of Father Toby, sort of not standing in his own individuality but standing in persona christi but then something uh, additional to what she said and um, it's symbolizing how christ covers us with his his love uh, as a mantle
1: that's wonderful
0: so there you go i hope that that helped adrian
4: well that's great thank you so much you're welcome
0: thank you for uh, thank you, a, a wonderful question um thank you thank okay you. Now. Cheers. Uh, so yes, if you have a question, then lines are still open. It's zero one two two three three seven five five six four and we'd love to hear from you. Um I had another thought on oh, the yes. well actually it's it's something it reminded me of something that Tolkien once said um about uh vestments and how it's it's again on this whole losing one's individuality within the uh, ceremony, and he he was kind of bewailing how in in his day people were trying to sort of make liturgy more casual and and seem mm. more everyday rather than its its ceremonial nature, and he said that this. Modern tendency of trying to do ceremonial things in an unceremonious way is no sign of humility, but it it shows the offender's inability to forget himself in the right
1: Yes, I like that
0: and I think yes. that, that you see that in um in the liturgy when the priest you know puts on these garments is that mm. it it's no longer about him um, exactly and uh and also just in in religious life as i'm sure you can can attest to the the mm-hmm. idea of wearing a habit yeah. um you know you you're now in a position where you're representing um something else it's it's not like you're trying to express your individuality exactly. with with the clothes yeah. that you put on in the morning
1: and sometimes you know when you, when you first start wearing the habit it's easy to think well i'm i'm very conspicuous i feel conspicuous but in fact the point of the habit is it's one of the ways in which Christ makes himself conspicuous mm-hmm. in the world. So you've kind of, like you say, or like Tolkien says, you've got to sort of forget yourself. Yeah. And allow allow yourself to just be the kind of, the means by which Christ makes himself present in the world.
0: Yeah. I like it's, that of
1: making investments.
0: Yeah. It's very freeing as well, um, yeah. I think. Well, yeah, so I have, um, we have some time for a few more questions, if anyone would like to call in zero one two two three three seven five five six four um in the meantime i have a question of my own oh. <laughs> so and believe it or not it's prompted by watching the chosen
1: this is the fourth now <laughs> this is our fourth chosen related question since i've started coming on questions of faith so
0: um There's a very beautiful episode in season three where Mm. the woman with the um, issue of blood is uh, desiring to touch the garment of Christ. And one of the disciples says to her, you know, that's superstitious. Mm. If you, because she says, all I need to do is just just to touch one thread um, and I'll be healed. Mm. And... I wonder if that's a correct interpretation of it because what then happens is is she you know she goes and she has this uh this remarkable healing mm. and then Jesus says to her it's your faith that has made you well mm. but I don't think that um her touching his garment was just neither here nor there I think mm. she had some kind of her faith was in the fact that, in touching his garment, yeah. she would be healed. Yeah. So, my question is, is it is it wrong to say that the garment healed her as well? Um, would that is that falling into some kind of superstition? Or is there a correct way of understanding it where we can actually see that the physical world is a, a mediator of grace?
1: Yes. I would say that the first thing to say about the the woman with the issue of blood, in that because this is a an event that's presented to us in the scripture, it is meant to reveal something to us real and true of how Christ works in our lives and through the church. Like, it, it's not there to confuse us or to, or to mislead us. And I think the way The Chosen has portrayed it, I do think they make it clear that we're meant to, to sympathise more with the, the hemorrhaging woman's point of view than the disciple who accuses her of being of being superstitious and it's worth pointing out as well that um in the early church the the story of the issue of the woman with the issue of blood was used as a kind of um an image for how the sacraments work so for instance if you've if you've got the the big yellow jeffrey chapman edition of the catechism I don't know if it's in the CTS edition, but um, you've got pictures at the beginning of each of the sections of the catechism. And the picture at the beginning of the section on the sacraments is a mosaic, an ancient mosaic of of the healing of, of the woman with the issue of blood, because this was seen by the church as, as a kind of symbol of how the sacraments work. Mm-hmm. You've got the power of Jesus, ultimately. You've got the power of God you've got the faith of the one receiving and you've got the visible sign by which the invisible grace is transmitted so i think with the with the woman with the issue of blood what you're seeing here is somebody who understands through supernatural faith that christ's humanity the the visibility and the touchability of christ Is an instrument of his divinity so it's a way in which his divinity Mm. comes to us and is made present to us but also she understands and christ makes clear to her by saying you know your faith has saved you that the this grace this power of god is not going to be at work in us even if we come and touch the visible signs even if we come and interact with the visible signs it's not going to be at work at us unless we freely open ourselves to it in the same way that if you if you stand under a shower no matter how hot and powerful the shower is if you put up if you put up an umbrella you're you're not going to get wet and in the same way if, if we approach the sacraments um with irreverence with a lack of faith we're not going to get wet, you know, that the grace is not going to bear fruit in us. Even the sacraments work what we call ex opere operato. So they, mm-hmm. they work by virtue of their own power. Um, So I would say, yes, the, I wouldn't get too het up on the, the specific touching of the hem of the garment. I think the point here is that when we encounter the humanity of Jesus, when we encounter the visible signs of the invisible God, when we, encounter them in faith then that power of god is transmitted through those visible signs and takes root in us and and heals us and that's basically a description of the sacraments
4: Mm. so
1: we can disagree with the disciple who said that superstition he's going to be (laughs) on a journey in the next few episodes he's going to realize what the sacraments are and you know yes recount of his earlier comments
0: it is a wonderful um Picture of the sacraments because yeah. you have also this um, the other disciples who are brushing alongside Christ yes. and yet they're not experiencing this sudden um, infilling of grace and yes. yeah. and I think that's what we are so often you know we if we are familiar with the sacraments and we're receiving them um, daily or or more than you know on a regular basis. We can become these people who sort of are brushing mm. shoulders with Christ and and not coming to him with the faith yeah. of what's truly there. Yeah. So um, yeah, I love that that description. Yeah. I think. Have you ever noticed? Um, it's something that I want to do a little study on at some point. But that the from then on in Mark's gospel, where this story appears, um, they mention specifically in the other towns that Jesus goes to that people were trying to just touch the hem of his garment mm, yeah so it was almost like she set a precedent that was yes. then followed
1: yeah she she revealed the the power of of touching and, and encountering Jesus to to many people
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah that's wonderful
0: it is quite mm-hmm. quite lovely um we're going to have one last song as we've been okay. speaking about grace let's go to the hillbilly termist singing amazing grace Very good And if anyone wants to call in zero one two two three three seven five five six four memorize it put it on speed dial and we'll answer your questions
5: grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost was lost, was lost, was lost but now I'm found, was blind but now I see. Twas grace that taught, twas grace that, that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious, precious death, death how precious appear the hour I first believed through man
0: Sahil Billy Thomist singing Amazing Grace and um, we come to the end of Questions of Faith we forgot, I forgot actually, to begin with a prayer Um, Sister Karina you should have stopped me
1: I'm sorry, I prayed in my head and I thought well my whole life is a prayer, so you know (laughs) Questions of Faith got included in that
0: There we go (laughs) Um, So we're gonna end with a prayer and um not just in our heads so if you wouldn't mind
1: not at all in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy Spirit, amen Amen. heavenly father we thank you for this time of meeting together we thank you for the gift of all who work for radio maria for all who listen for all who call in we ask you to pour out your holy spirits upon us, to increase in us the gifts of your Holy Spirit, to work on our intellects and our wills, to move us closer to you. We ask that in all that we do and say, we may always have Christ before us. We may always have him as the centre and the goal of what we do. And we ask all of this through the grace of that same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank
1: you very much. Our Lady Wisdom. Pray for
0: us. Pray for us. Thank you very much, Sister Karina. And um, Thank you very see much, you then. again in the future at some point. See you soon. Okay. God bless. Bye. God
1: bless. Goodbye.